0: Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you, Pastor Brandon, and good morning. Good morning. I'm not sure I can keep that energy level up all day because um, I just don't, I don't have that uh, same sugar in my system and caffeine and everything, but uh, I am so excited to be here. As he mentioned, um, I am Pastor Bob from Impact Nova. We're your cousins to the north. You're our sweet cousins to the South. So, hey, Lisa and I are very excited to be here. You know, we grabbed our passports. We put on our rain boots and our, our raincoats, and we braved 95 to get up here in the morning. We were stuck in a traffic jam getting up here. It was perfect, exactly. You've met our expectations <laughs> entirely, yeah. But the uh, passport control office was closed, so we shot right through there. Come on, we took our trailer. We, we looked just like you guys. We took our trailer and, and drove right up on up here and to, got up here to Fredericksburg. And so now we're here, and we're going to get, get to bring a message, and we just love to be up here. We love to be down here talking to you guys. Um, man, wasn't that exciting? Aren't you happy you came to church today? Yes. I mean, yes. we're, 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 we're praising Jesus. We, we, we can shut the door and go home now. I mean, we, we praise Jesus, right? No, 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 he got a message for you. Amen. He got a message for you. And then I, I just, I just love, I love it when, a, when a, a pastor has the courage and a church has the courage to, to open up the books and say, hey, let's talk about money. Now, my mama is a proper lady, and she said that men should not use four-letter words in front of ladies, and money is a five-letter word, so we can use that. Besides that, it's in the Bible, so we can use it up here. But I just love the fact that he opens up the books and we put it up here and we're talking about this stuff and my mantra has been taught to me by one of the leaders in my life, Pastor Brandon and, and um, it's been taught to me that I truly believe that if you don't celebrate what God's doing in your life, he's not compelled to keep doing it. Right. You know, I've ra- Lisa and I have raised five children in our lives. They range from 30 to 21 years old and I get it You know that when you have a child and you do something sweet and nice to them and, and they just don't like it um, you're not going to keep doing sweet and nice things for him. <laughs> right. Now, our youngest son, Benjamin, is about to graduate from James Madison University. He's going to come home for a couple months. He thinks a year. I think three months. We're negotiating that. <laughs> he does have a job. He's got the big J-O-B, so he's, got his life, he's trying to work his life out. But he thinks he's going to come home and save a bunch of money and, and buy his own place or something like that. But um, as he does that, he comes home he sweet-talks his mom, so she will make every meal he likes the whole time he's home. You see... I just love that the fact that that um, it—that's the way God treats us. That's exactly the way He treats us. If God does something nice and blesses you, we should be saying thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And you know, it would be enough if all God did was hang a son on a cross and He said, "Jesus, go go down there and get them for me. Go down there and pay the sin debt that they owe us. Hop on that cross, take that beating, take that scourging, and take that death, and get back in that cross and get in a borrowed tomb for them." That would be enough. If that's all he ever did, if that's the only way he ever blessed you, that's enough. But he didn't stop there. One, Jesus walked out of that tomb. He said, death has no hold on me or you. And then two, he just stops. He won't stop. He just keeps pouring the blessings out. He just won't stop. He just said, I can't help it. I just love you. I just love you. I just keep pouring the blessings out. And if we just say, oh, well, I don't really care about your blessings anymore. Well, as a parent, I'm going to tell you, I just will stop pouring the blessings out. So I think it's wonderful that we do that. Now, I also notice that... uh, that black jack, black jack Bible or blackjack Baptist and casino was up there,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, right. and I like the fact that you you don't take those offerings; you give them to Nova because those are ill-gotten gains, yeah. and I appreciate that. I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. also like the fact where's where's Logan? Is he in here? I like the fact that Logan has found a way to use his spiritual gift of eating in, in to, uh, <laughs> into a, into an act of service. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote that down. We're taking that back to our to our church. What a wonderful gift that man has. <laughs> so, a little background for myself. Um, before we get started, I am going to preach, I promise. Um, so, I have been a professional financial advisor for 30 years. Uh, more, we may, many of you may hear about more about that later this afternoon. And I've been in the pastorate, serving professionally in the pastorate for a little over or just under seven years. This is all going to take note as I'm going to be talking about, you guys are in a wonderful sermon series called Better Together. You know, God never intended us to do life by ourselves. The Trinity is a perfect example of that. Um, When three become one, this is the perfect Trinity. It's the perfect example of relationships that are bound to be together. We are better together. God didn't save you, clean you up, and set you apart and say, now I want you to just go off by yourself. We are much better together. And today, um, I'm going to be talking about money and relationships. In order to do that, I've got to get a little background, a little traction going. And with 30 years of experience as a professional financial advisor, um, and then with uh, some experience in that, ironically, being an advisor and a pastor are beautifully coupled together. Because when I sit at my desk, I literally coach people into how to have better lives. And when I sit at my desk in my, as a pastor, I coach people to have, have better lives. In both cases, I use the truth of the Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I may have to change the language a little bit. I may have to um, interpret the Bible differently. The truth is the same, but I may have to describe it differently, depending on, on who I'm talking to. So why I believe it's important to have a biblical view of money, one, it's a five-letter word, and we can use it, Because the Bible teaches a lot about money. In fact, there's over 2,300 verses. Some people say 2,700. But there's at least 2,300 verses in the Bible, and at least 15% of what Jesus taught was about money. So it is an important topic. Additionally, now hear me on this. Additionally, the stress that money puts on relationships is well-documented and is as devastating inside the church as it is outside the church. Now this morning, I'm going to introduce to us an amazing topic. Of God's economy for which I have been studying for over 30 years and I'm still in awe of but I will but I believe we can all learn and be blessed as we take steps in faith out of the world's economy into God's economy personally I believe that money is the largest competitor for our heart versus God now, the minute I start bringing the topic up about money, the minute Brandon started talking about money, the minute we start talking about this, Satan drew a veil across this room. And your mind started working about, about there's something in this, there's something, Satan immediately starts speaking lies into this, and he starts talking about, wait a minute, the pastor needs something from us, He's tell, there's something about this, there's something about this. And I'm, I'm, Right now, I'm just going to say, Satan, we cast you out now. I want you to hear the truth, the truth about this. Money is not a forbidden topic. And it is something that we're going to boil down, and we're going to talk about stewardship, managing the resources that God gave us. Because money is going to compete for who you love. And money is a bad mistress. And the things that money will do to you, and the things you'll do for it, are bad. 1 Timothy teaches that. That the pursuit of money will lead to all kinds of rotten, bad things. More about that later. The world's economy is basically opposite of God's economy or it's a perversion of God's economy. You know, Satan is not new at this, taking what is God's for good and perverting it and then using it for evil. And this is the, this is the economy that we live in. This is the, this is the, way, this is the way the economy, the, the culture views things. Listen to what Jesus had to say in Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, we fool ourselves in believing that we're self-reliant, that somehow we did everything ourselves. We're not self-reliant. Somewhere along the way we were born, you had nothing to do with that. Somewhere along the way you were educated, you were given intellect, and you had nothing to do with that. Somewhere along the way God blessed you, and you you had nothing to do with that. You see, we're not self-reliant. We're reliant on every breath. The Bible says that every breath we take is a blessing from God. Everything we have, everything has been given to us by God. You know, the Bible has a story about a man who had made so much wealth that he, his grain was just filled up everything he had. And he said, i got a great idea. I'm going to tear down these barns and make bigger barns. And I'm going to put more wealth in these barns, and I'm going to fill up these barns. And as he's in the process of doing that, God came to him and said, you fool. Today, you don't even know this, but I'm going to take your life from you. What good is all this wealth? You see, you fool. The last thing I want to hear from God is, you're a fool. Now, what I really want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that much later, but that's what I really want to hear. Money is a horrible God because it allows you to believe you are in charge. You're not in charge. God allows you to be here. God allows you to manage. God gives you the abilities that we have. And we keep robbing God of the glory, of the blessing. And we keep robbing God of the praise that he should be receiving for the things that we've accomplished No, for the things he's allowed us to accomplish. All right, so I've broken this down into three big ideas. I stole this from a church in North Carolina, and that's all the credit I'm going to give them. (laughs) (laughs) First off, first big idea. Stewardship is expected. We own nothing, but we can be good managers. That's all stewardship means. So um, I'm... I don't mean to throw out church terms, and when I do, I might back up and just identify them and explain them real quick. Stewardship is this concept in the Bible that says it means management. You are the manager. So we don't own anything. We own nothing. But we can be good managers. Do you believe this? I mean, do you believe it? Because this is where I start. This is where I start in my financial practice. This is where I start when I preach. This is where I start when I do financial literacy. This is where I start when you come in to see me, and we sit down, and as your pastor, or as a pastor, and I sit down, and we, and we come in and say, we got financial issues. And I say, okay, good. Whose money is it? And you go, um, um well, it, she did it. And I said, no, no, Adam. <laughs> and, I, and I say, whose money is it? And he, and he goes, um, the woman that, that, that you that we premarital counsel with you did it. And I said, no, no, stop. That's called blame casting. We're not gonna do that. I said, whose money is it? And they said, uh well intellectually I know it's God's. I said, now move it from here to here. Whose money is it? Do you believe it's God's? Do you believe it's God's? Do you know how many problems could be fixed right there? Do you know how many of the world's problems could be fixed? Do you know how many problems inside the church could be fixed? Do you know how people how many people could be fed Not only in Fredericksburg, but in Chantilly, in Washington, D.C., in every major city in the world. You know the fact that the church has advocated its role to take care of the poor, the widow, and the orphan? We've advocated the government. We say, here, I pay my taxes, but I'm not going to feed anybody? Come on, people. Come on now. Come on. You know what? If we just believe this is all God's money, we could fix most of what's wrong with this world. I'm telling you, you could fix almost everything that's wrong in your relationships most of what's wrong in our relationships is the fact that we're holding some power, some grudge, or something wrong and because we believe that, well, we're in charge. And we, and we keep score with money. So do you believe this? Do you believe it all belongs to God? The number of things that we could fix. Listen to what Luke has to say in chapter 12, verses 47 through 48. The servant who knows the master's will and does not Get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be be beaten with few blows. From everyone who does, or from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been beaten, I'm sorry, who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And I want to say, I'm sorry. I sent these slides to Mark yesterday, um, yesterday, or yesterday afternoon, and I'm reading from the NIV. I would have switched to the ESV, except for I sent them to him too late and I didn't get a chance to switch. So if my reading's slightly different than what you're reading, here's the point: for whom for whom much is expected, much is for whom much is given, much is expected. Managing God's resources is not an option. It isn't not an option. It's what we're supposed to do. You see, it's not really an option. If you're a Christian, you don't really get to opt out. <laughs> it's not, it's not an, an extra duty. When I was in the military, we had extra duties. That meant you were going to get tapped to do something you didn't want to do. This is not one of those things. You're not tapped out. This is not, it's kind of like baptism. I think I'm not going to do this one. Okay? I don't really want to do this. And it's not an, an option. You, you, you don't get to tap out of being a steward. God's given you a resource, and you have to manage it. Now, what the Scripture is saying is you can be ignorant, and you get a little bit of punishment. Or you can be disobedient, and you get, a, a, well, a lot of punishment. I, for one, I'm going to choose option three. I'm going to be obedient and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But there, there's no option in it. You have to be a steward. You have to manage. You see, God gives it to us, and he expects something out of us. Now, what I want you to hear from me is we should be encouraged by this. This should be an encouragement. This should not be looked down at your Bible time and like, I'm ashamed. This should be like, okay, this is a chance of encouragement. This is a chance like God is counting on me? The creator of everything that is and was and shall ever be? The one who saved my soul and rescued me and loved me? (laughs) Is counting on
0: me? Like
1: I'm going to rise to the occasion. This is an encouragement. You know, as we grow in our faith... He can entrust me with more? You mean I might get a better job? He might bless my family? My child might come out of addiction? You mean he might continue to bless me with more? I'm not talking about with just more money, but with more blessings? He might give me not just more prosperity, but he might give me more joy in my life, more pleasure in my life. I'm not talking about the pleasure of a vacation. I'm talking about the pleasure of his presence. The joy of knowing him more deeply? Come on, people. This is what it's about. You know, the kingdom of God is here now. When Jesus was on earth, he says the kingdom of God is here now and the kingdom of God is coming later. But see, he might just actually bless you in a way where you know the joy and the peace and the presence, the calmness and the stillness, may I say the contentment, of being in the presence of God Almighty. What more could we ask? In a minute, I'll tell you what more we can ask. Might have something to do about bursting in the throne room of Jesus Christ, but no, hold on to that. You know, but isn't this what we expect from our own children? Isn't this what we expect from our own children? It's like as they matriculate, as they get older, don't we expect them to grow and to learn and to become better stewards? You know, like as they make their own beds. Well, I'm still working on one of mine. Four out of five is not bad. That's a passing grade. That's 80%. So I give our, we give ourselves a B plus on that. But um, yeah, but don't, don't you expect your children to, to like grow and mature and, and to, to learn to, how to do things? You know, and we were practicing this going out to Winchester yesterday for a birthday party. And, and I said, yeah, if a child chooses to, if a child knows they need to be potty trained to go to kindergarten and they choose not to, then they don't get to go. But if a child knows or doesn't know they they, they don't, you know, then they, they don't get to go. But if a child says, I'm just gonna, just not going to choose to be potty trained, you know. And I had a kid that was like this. You know, I'd say, do you need to go to the bathroom? No. Do you need to go to the bathroom? No. I said, did you just go to the bathroom? No. <laughs> it's like, you're choosing to be disobedient. You chose that. So my expectation for her... Was, well, never mind. Um, but as she grew, my expectations were that she would grow out of that, and she did. Yeah, she went to kindergarten. So God expects the same thing of us. This is an opportunity. Your heavenly Father is calling you up and out. He's not calling you. He's not degrading you. He's saying it's time to grow. Just like he would, a ch- just like he would a little kindergarten, and said, No, 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 no. You want to go to kindergarten? Then, then grow. This is an encouragement. Let me move on to my next big idea, because I want to get on to the third big idea. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The context of this is a love offering between churches, to the church in Jerusalem. Paul was on his way. He's making his pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And he was stopping, and he wrote a letter to Corinth. And he said, see these poor churches, these churches of little means, they had given quite a bit. And Corinth had a lot of money. The church in Corinth had a lot of money. And he said, see, try to, be like, try to emulate them. And it was about a love offering. But what I want to pull out of this is we should sow. What you sow is what you reap. This is a part of God's economy. Now, in context here, he's talking about money. He literally is talking about money. What you give, what you sow, is what you will get back. If you give a little, you get back a little. If you give a lot, you get, you get back a lot. But I also want to stop for a moment and talk to the men in the room. Men, and this is a, a side note. So Brandon went left to get some coffee, and he, just, he left us unattended with any adult supervision. Men. Um, This is a universal truth. It applies to money, but it also applies to us. You sow strife in your house, you get strife. You sow anger in your house, you get anger. If If you sow lies, you get lies. If you sow adultery, you get adultery. Guys, this is a universal truth. What you want is what you sow. Let's be men of valor. Let's be men of courage. Let's be men of the book. Let's sow love. Let's show peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's nothing written. Let's be men of valor. Ladies, while Brandon's out of the room, if you want gentleness from your man, let's sow contrite and gentle spirit. Let's honor your husbands. Let's honor your boyfriends. Let's honor your fathers. If you want the men in your life to be gentle, the Bible teaches us, that the meek shall inherit the earth. If you want a man who's meek, not weak, but meek, then have a gentle and contrite spirit. Sow that into your man, and watch what you get back. All right, back on course. Sorry. Here comes Brandon. All right. It also says, sow with good with a good attitude. God loves a cheerful giver. I consider the good attitude to be kind of like the fertilizer that goes onto the, the seed that you sow. It won't grow. It will grow, but it grows a whole lot better when you're happy about it. I was going to give you an example about that, but I'm just going to let that fertilizer sit there and and do its thing. Um, I do have a quick example here, though, about about giving, about sowing and reaping. And, you know, God's people should be the most generous people on the planet. For what you've been giving is priceless. There's many stories in the Bible that's like pearls that have been hidden, you would sell everything you own to get it. That's your salvation. Um, we have been given eternal life with Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. But I was on a mission trip one time in Southeast Asia. That's the jungles of, of India. And I'd taken a large lump sum of money. I'd converted it to, this is not about me, but I'm using some I to give you some context. I'd converted it to um, local currency. And I was given it to our mission partner. It was, and, it was the first night we were there, it was dark, it was in a dingy little building, and, and I was giving it to him, and he was very appreciative, and I said, brother, use this money, this is a gift from Impact Church and from other donors, and I'm giving it to him, and to great peril, because you can't take currency in and out of the country, I shouldn't say great peril, um, because I'm an American, all they do is beat me and send me home, but um, minus the beating, but I was giving him the money. I said, brother, use this to help pay some of the expenses of the conference and buy food and stuff for, for the people that are here and chairs and the sound system and the lights and stuff like that. And I physically put money in his hand. And I'm not kidding. Within 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds, we hear this ruckus and this, this music, somewhat, somewhat music coming in. And people were half naked, which is not unusual in the jungle of India, but half naked, come marching in. And they come marching in, and this, this guy runs up, and he goes Uh, ah, the Burmese are here, the Burmese are here, the Burmese are here. And I said, what's that mean? And they said, the tribe from Burma has walked out of Burma, had to leave everything they own at the border because it's closed, and all they could wear is the clothes they had on, and they walked into our conference. And I said, wow, awesome. And they come walking in, and literally all they have is what they're wearing, which is basically a loincloth and a thing around their head, I don't know what they're called, but they're walking in, and my mission partner turns to me and goes, can I use your money to buy them um, blankets and tents and food? And (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's why God had me bring this money here. So that's generosity. Do you understand me? God had me fly all those miles, convert that money, not to pay the, the generator. And I wasn't generous, but he was. You see to meet the needs of these people that wanted to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They walked out of the jungle with nothing on. They didn't have shoes on. We had to donate our shoes to them. But they walked out of the jungle with nothing on by the loincloth, and they said, we want to hear about this Jesus. And he turns to me and says, can I use your money? And I said, it's God's money. And if you don't use it here, I don't know where we're going to use it because now it's time to take that money and put it to work. And, and that's the last I saw because, man, that money ran off. And there was tent, and people, and, oh, man, I got so excited because that's the first time I've seen God just take that resource, his money, and say, thank you for being a good manager because I'll take it from here, brother. And he just took that money and he did his thing with it. And that wasn't about me or about our mission partner. That was about God doing his thing. Ooh, and lives are changed. You know, let's go to big idea idea number three because this is where I want to camp out in my remaining few minutes. Contentment is, is a gift from God. Contentment is from God we can have it in a world that is full of anything but contentment God offers his contentment to anyone willing to take it this is not prosperity gospel this is the real gospel first through his to his free gift of salvation I know I just threw a church word out there called salvation so let me just let me just stop for a minute before I do No contentment. If we have no contentment, then all relationships will suffer. All relationships. This is the main teaching point today. You thought it was about money. It was about getting the right perspective on money so that we can be content. Because if we're not content, then all of our relationships will suffer, even our relationship with God himself. But I threw out this salvation phrase. So that's a church word. And I threw out this phrase, gospel. So let me just break it down real fast. I can do it in two minutes or less. Ready? Hack. <laughs> Salvation is a word we use in a church. It means we're being saved from something. The gospel literally means the good news. In a church size this audience, I'm just going to ask you a quick question. If tonight you go to bed and you lay your, pillow on, or you lay your head on the pillow, and you, I was to ask you a question, or I have you ask yourself a question, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? And if the answer is yes, you're safe. What are you saved from, I'm going to talk about in a minute. But if your answer is, I hope so, I think so, most of the time, yes, I wish, or no, then pay attention because this is for you. You see, we need to move that answer to a yes, and it needs to be confirmed yes. There is no negotiation on this one. This has to be absolutely yes. And I'm going to explain why in a minute. But salvation has to be absolutely yes. And the gospel is the good news. And it goes like this. We're not perfect. God is. And Jesus is our way to find God. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told us he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one goes to God except through Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, we make this too hard. We in North America have access to all this data, and we try to figure things out too much. I mean, we got DYI for everything or dies, or do whatever you want. But here's how I break it down for you. If you were on the sidewalk and you were dying of hunger, and I walked up with a bologna sandwich and I was going to give it to you, would your first response be, I wonder how you made that? Did you put the bread together first, the mayonnaise on the bread, and then give me some, some, some mustard on there? Did you put it together first, or did you put the mayonnaise on there? How, how did you make that? How did you make that? Would you try to figure out your salvation first, or would you accept the salvation? You see, we make it too hard. We're trying to figure out all this stuff. What happens to the Aborigines? What about the Old Testament saints? What about this? What about this? Or can I send my way out of this? Or can I do this? Or can I do this? Stop. Just take the sandwich. Do you understand? We'll figure out how it's made later. Accept the free gift. You're dying, you're going to starve to death left there by yourself. Take the sandwich. It's free. I'm giving it to you. I promise. We'll explain it later. I promise you. As soon as the Holy Spirit comes into you, all knowledge will be opened up to you, and God himself will begin to pour his wisdom and his knowledge and his love into you, and the church will come alongside of you, and better together we'll figure it out. But stop dying on the corner when I'm handing you the truth. Here's your sandwich. Just take it. Just take the sandwich, okay? I promise we'll help you figure it out. I promise. Now, if today you're still trying to figure it out, today's your day. All you got to do is just see me, see Wes, see Brandon, see any member of this church. We'll walk with you. Now, you have to drive up to Nova with me. (laughs) But I'm telling you, our passion is to hear one more voice join the choir. One more voice praising Jesus Christ. My passion is you have absolute affirmed security in your salvation. So come see us. And then you'll find contentment. You can't find contentment apart from God. You can't find contentment apart from Jesus Christ saving you. That's it. You need contentment and that won't be found apart from Jesus Christ, period, bar none. End of discussion. Get this straight. I'm afraid I'm going to start preaching so I need to move on. But, you know, I found that even those of us who have, have, have absolute security in our salvation that sometimes even contentment eludes us. I'm willing to wager that even some of us have stress over financial issues or budget issues or whatever you want to call it. But money or the love of money or what money's done to us or what we've done to get money, the abuses involved in that is the core of a lot of drama whether in marriage or in our family or our work or our friendships or in our church, the love of money can lead to a whole lot of drama, 1 Timothy 6.10. This is normal in a fallen, broken world. This is Satan has jacked us all up. The world has taught us, into a vacuum comes the pollution of the world. You see, we're not all financially literate, but into this vacuum Satan has jacked us up. He's taught us all the wrong things. For example, when we're going to buy, this might be a bad example, but stay with me. Not everybody, not you good church people, but uh, one or two of you people. Okay, maybe none of you in this room. But when we go to buy a new car, are you looking for the best deal or are you looking for a fair deal? You see, the world's telling you, you're going to try to get the best deal. You're going to work them down. You're going to work them down. You're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. No, no, guys, that, that's the world's way. How about a fair deal? How about you deal with your auto mechanic in a fair way? How about you, how about you sow into him fairness so that he can trust you and he sows back to you in fairness? How about you, sir, how about you um, the, the lady that helps clean your home, how about you treat her fairly so that she treats you fairly? How about you pay a fair wage so that they, they do a fair job? How about we just, do, how about we just do, treat the whole world fairly? I don't know. That's not the way the world treats it. Is get something over on them. Yeah, get something cheap. I get yeah, I'm do it. freeze better, freeze for me. That's the motto of the world. You know, I could sell a case of the measles for free. I could sell COVID today. That's a bad joke, too soon, right? Okay. It's okay. Now, listen to me. A once very famous theologian and mentor of mine said, It's okay to be messed up, but it's not okay to stay that way. Pastor Brandon, you're in a safe place to get okay. This is a safe place to be messed up. This is a safe place to retrain yourselves to be better. Church is like a mass unit. Nobody knows what that is anymore, but that's a place where you come not to get not to get all healed. It's a place to get well enough to get back in the battle. Quick story. This is how messed up the world is. I had a multi-millionaire, that's not unusual in my practice, but I had a multimillionaire um, come into my office, she's a 60 some odd year old woman, um, and she has no money issues at all, Zippo. And I say multimillionaire, I mean like 10, 20 million dollars. And she comes into my office, and she, had, she did not have an appointment, she comes stomping in, boom, door flies open. I happen to not have any client information open, door, boom, flies open, no appointment. My wife works for me, works with me, sorry honey. And well, technically, she works whenever she wants. But the door flies open. She, Lisa's back in there. She shutting the door. And she goes, "Sorry," and she shuts the door. And my client comes in, and I say, "Who?" And she sits down. I'm thinking, I just lost an account. But she sits down and she goes, "I need $400 out of my investments." And I said, "What?" And so I'm frantically looking around, looking to shut my computer down, and make sure there's no client information out. And I go, "Why?" Knowing that you have like. I don't know, $500,000 in your checking account. And it's like, why? And she said, you don't ask why, you just you, you, you make that transaction. And I said, well, listen, I'm not going to sell $400 out of your investments knowing that you have the money in cash, so um, tell me what's going on. Well, my oldest daughter, as you know, just went through a breakup, and her husband is a real a bad guy. I'm not going to say what she said, but she was in. she's a retired naval officer, so I'm not going to say anything she says, but... My husband's a really um, bad guy, and her husband was, and she's pregnant, and I need four hundred dollars to pay for her abortion. I said, "Okay, sit down." I said, "Why are you really here?" She goes, "I'm really here to get money so I can pay for her abortion." I said, "No, that's not why you're here." So, spin the story ahead really fast. The world had told her that her adult daughter, who's 26 years old, life's going to be ruined if she brought a child into this world without a dad. And that's what he told her. And they were going to abort the child. Spend ahead two and a half years later, she brings her grandson into my office. And she's all proud. And she says, I'm only going to say this once. You saved his life. And she walks out. And she says, let's go get a sucker in the front office. Okay, that's God's economy. You hear me? That's the world says, kill him. He's of no value. God said, he's of infinite value. Now, I'm sitting here in this room, and I'm, I, my heart goes out to anybody who suffered a painful decision of an abortion, who suffered the loss of a child while in the womb. One of my, grand, my very first grandson, um, died in the womb. So my heart goes out to you, and I'm telling you, I'm not making fun of you. I'm telling you, my heart is broken for you and that you got sucked into the ways of the world. We repent of that. Our heart goes out to you for that. But there's a better way. God's economy is a better way. Listen to what Philippians 4.12 tells us. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What is this secret? See, Jesus unlocks the secret in Matthew 6, 21, Brandon read it earlier. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have given our hearts away to false gods. We have bowed down and worshiped the wrong thing. And I wonder why we're not content. Money represents power, self-reliance, status, luxury, many things that we can control. It's time we give that all up. and We say, Lord, I want you. I want less of that. It's time we'd be like John the Baptist and say less of that and more of Jesus. Less of anything other than you and more of Jesus. You see, in pre-marriage counseling, I run into this, and nobody in this room, if I've counseled you, this is not you. I'm not using you as an illustration. I'm not. I'm not. But in pre-marriage counseling, in counseling we talk about that. Are we going to combine our finances? And if the answer is no, I say you might be marrying the wrong person. See, if you can't put your hearts together, then why are you getting married? And everybody, and then we, that, that means we have an issue that we need to talk about. It might be there needs to be some discipline done first. And I don't mean you discipline each other. I mean we need to learn some financial discipline first. There's something we need to work on. But if you can't put your hearts together then there's an issue that we need to work on because our hearts need to go together. We need to be able to trust each other. Um, We're going to talk a lot more about that in our seminar this afternoon. And I'm sorry if I'm spilling the beans on that. but um, The point here, the main point, contentment comes when we learn to trust God and His timing for our lives and not our timing. See, Abraham tried to Speed things up with Hagar. If you don't know the Bible story, that would be an excellent topic to talk about in your community groups or over lunch. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to, to spell it out now. So at the risk of being, I want to wrap this up, um, because Brandon told me um, I can't go past 12, 1220. Now, I want to do one more illustration before I get into my, um, into my uh, summary. In this point, I had a particularly um, desperate time in my own life, and I don't mean to illustrate myself uh, because I don't want you to feel pity for me, and I don't want you to focus on me um, because Jesus gives the spotlight. But hear me on this. Um, many, many years ago, um, I went through a very painful divorce. It wasn't uh, of my choosing. And my wife left me and for uh, another man. And it was very painful. In order to stay in proximity of my children, I had to sell my financial practice and move from California to Virginia. And it meant starting over, um, which was a huge um, setback to me emotionally and financially. Um, but it meant that I got to be with my, in my daughter's lives. And in that process, I was broken. And I was broken to the point where I said, Lord, um, I will never trust another woman again. I will choose to be by myself. I, I choose to trust me. And in this process, God said, no, you will trust me. And I said, semantics. <laughs> it, it might have been a, mo- a little moment of piety on my part. And in that time, I will also share with you, in that, in that crucible, God put the calling on my life to enter ministry. Um, that's a whole other story, because I knew that was, uh, that was a mistake. Um, you can determine for yourselves whether it's a mistake. <laughs> but in that crucible, he said, no, you'll, you, will, you will trust me. And I said, yeah, as long as I don't have to trust another woman. And I thought that meant I was going to be single, and I was going to raise my daughters to the glory of God, and, and I was going to be uh, financially successful, run a good business practice, and, and serve my clients, and and be fine. You know, the Bible says some men are meant to be single, and I thought that would be me. You know, and I got I bought a motorcycle, I read Wild at Heart, and I went wild. <laughs> it's Like, cha you know, I, I was doing my thing. And into that process, I'll speed this up a little bit. And into that process. Um, God said, I want you to go down and buy a diamond. And not just any old diamond, a big, giant, two carat diamond. A big, giant one. And it was expensive. Even back then, it was expensive. And it, I, I spent a lot of money on this diamond. And I went, into, um, I went into the store. I had to make an appointment to go see these people. So I went into, I went into the, the jewelry store. It, it was a diamond importing store. I went into this thing, and they said, What sort of mount do you want? I said, I just want a big, honking diamond loose. And they said, they said, well, who are you buying it for? And I said, no one. God just told me to buy a diamond. He said, someday you'll have a woman to give it to. And I said, but I told God I'm not going to give it to anybody. So I guess I'm just buying it as an investment. So put, just put it in a box. And they said, you're one strange man. <laughs> and they said, it's going to cost this much. They wrote on a piece of paper, and I slid it across. And I wrote a check. And I said, there you go. I said, Just put it in a box. They put it in a box, so I slid it in my sock drawer. Probably shouldn't tell people where I hide my jewelry, but I slid it in the sock drawer, and I left it there. And I said, there, God, I'm obedient. I went and bought a very expensive diamond. I stuck it in my sock drawer, but I'm never going to trust a woman again. He said, yeah, just wait. Then I met Lisa, um, whom I do trust, I love. Um, Bonus, she comes with three children, whom I trust and I love. I've raised them as my own. But see, what God did in my life here was he said, he said, you want to be content? Then do what I say. Don't do what you say. Do what I say. And then he's going to challenge your faith. He'll say, if you trust me, then I'll stretch your faith. And if, I tr- if, you, con- if you find contentment in me and I stretch your faith, watch what I do for you. Because then the real diamond will show up. You see, I only bought a two-carat diamond. She showed up much better than that. See, you'll be blessed beyond your wildest dreams if you'll allow your contentment. It will solve your relationship issues. It will solve your issue with God. It'll take your piety aside. You'll become comfortable with your relationship with God. You'll wait upon him. You'll move when he says move, and you'll wait when he says wait. You'll buy diamonds when he says buy diamonds, and you'll sell diamonds when he says sell diamonds. You'll do what he says. If he says, I'll send you a wife, then you'll say, I can't wait. If he says, it's not time for you to go to seminary, then you won't go to seminary. Or in my case, if he says, you're 50 years old, and you're going to go to seminary. I said, anything but that. Wait upon the Lord with expectation. And in that will come your contentment. Do not wait upon your money. Do not wait upon a return. Do not wait upon anything other than what the world has to owe you because it's fleeting and it's worthless. Moss and rust will waste it away. But what we put up in heaven will wait for us forever. See, Brandon told us that Nova set $50,000 aside and invested in his church plan. I said, no, brother. We put a $50,000 crown in heaven. That's all we did. You chose to turn it into something good. We got our reward. That's what I'm asking of you. Find contentment. Move your eyes from what this world tells you is important and place it on Jesus. All right, let me start to wrap this thing up. Let me let me try to land this thing. I'm God's sprawled all over the place, but let's let's see if I can wrap this up. At the risk of being too detailed, allow me to offer a few practical steps before we go to the conclusion. God designed us for community. We are better together. The evil one wants to separate, wants us separated, and loving everything else but Him. He wants us loving everything else but Jesus. He'll throw everything else at you. Food, sex, alcohol, drugs, money. You know The Bible tells us that all of that is fleeting pleasure. It'll go away. Number two, remember your spouse, your child, your pastor, your boss, your parent, whoever is not your enemy. The enemy is the spiritual forces in heavenly realms. The people that you're at, at enmity with are made in the image of God, who you really at enmity with, who you're really fighting with are are people in spiritual realms. Number three, trust in the Lord's provision and timing. Trust that what he has for you is better than anything else that you can do for yourself. Number three, start managing God's money. Stop owning it and start managing it. It's not yours. Stop pretending like it is. Manage it. We are having a seminar today from one to three. Check. I don't know how you set that up. Um, but check with your leadership about coming to that. I I happen to be teaching that. I won't be preaching it, but it will be Bible-centric. In summary, contentment is a gift from God, and we can have it when we accept that God has what we need when we need it. If we allow our faith to grow and stop short-circuiting it by buying what we want when we want it, then we'll find that we'll be closer to God and closer to each other. Contentment is truly a gift that acts as the mortar that will hold the love and respect together for a relationship. Contentment is one of the free gifts God intends for us to use and have here and now. Contentment is not what we get in heaven, which we will have, but is intended for us to have right now as we walk hand in hand with our Savior Jesus Christ. In conclusion, today... We got acquainted with three planks of God's amazing economy. I could only give you three. There's a lot more. And I wish I could tell you, I'm done discovering God's amazing economy, but he, re- he keeps giving me more and more. I've only spent 30 years discovering it. Everything belongs to God, and it's our privilege to get to manage his resources to the glory of Jesus Christ. What we sow, we reap. God, has first, God was first generous, generous with us through his son, So we should want to be generous too. We can trust God to honor the sow and reap principle. So test him in this, says Malachi, and see if God will not wildly bless you. Lastly, contentment.
0: Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church sermon podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello At impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.